You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Jake Madison, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com. You can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. Here with you all on this Tuesday game day uh, here in the Crescent City as the Pelicans take on the Charlotte Hornets. Maybe their last kind of really winnable game, potentially, for a little while and definitely going to be the one of the easier home games they have coming up. So they definitely need to get this one. We'll preview that in the third segment here. In the first segment, though, I've got an article up over at LockedOnPelicans.com today that takes a look at some of this. I want to talk about pace. That word gets thrown around a lot. I've been asked a lot about it on the local radio down here on WWL on ESPN 100.3. So I think it's worth diving into because it's kind of indicative of what's going on with the Pelicans team. So go read it over at LockedOnPelicans.com if you haven't had a chance to do it yet. But we'll dive into some of it and get into it a little bit more deeper here where I can just kind of ramble and talk about it without having to write coherently. Then we're going to talk about Solomon Hill and his imminent return, which I mentioned on the podcast yesterday. Doesn't sound like he's going to be playing tonight against Charlotte. Uh, but there was a chance, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see him maybe on Thursday uh, playing against the uh, San Antonio Spurs as the Pelicans hit the road for one game. And then, of course, we'll, we'll talk about that, what him coming back means for this team. And I think it's, it's good, but it's not going to be amazing. I think it's definitely going to be good for kind of the ancillary things with it, not necessarily his direct contribution other than, say, minutes. I'll explain that in the second segment. And then, of course, like I said, we'll preview tonight's game against Charlotte in the third. So a lot to cover. So let's just jump right on into it in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So pace, what's it mean and why is it a big deal for the New Orleans Pelicans? And you all know Alvin Gentry wants to run that kind of space and pace system where you get out there in transition and score those easy transition buckets, which have a higher point per possession than other shot attempts usually do. There's a reason basically things are filtered into transition and half court offense and kind of just that dichotomy right there. So let's take a look at it because a lot of people are making a big deal about the Pelicans pace being at right around 106 since their winning streak through current, including the two losses. But does that mean anything? And it puts them first in the league, but on the season, they've ranked second. So I broke this down into four areas and we'll talk about them here. You know, on the season, the team has a pace of 102.61 and pace is just an estimation. It's not actually an exact number of how many possessions you get per game. So per 48 minutes or then overtime changes it a little bit. So pre-injury, uh, when they had DeMarcus Cousins, they were at a pace of 101.48, which is still fast. They were sixth best in the league. And then after the injury, before the winning streak, it jumped up to 104.5. So let's round everything here. And it's an increase of three. Three possessions per game. So three possessions on offense, three on defense, because when you have a possession, the other team's going to get one too, almost always unless it's the end of a quarter half, something like that. That's really the only thing that can kind of skew it um, much. So, and, and even then, it doesn't do it that much. So three, three possessions per game. Does that really change much? You know, if you're hitting four-point plays on all of them, it's a difference of just 12 points, and that's not the case. You're looking at maybe 50% 
of say two point like one point so you're looking at maybe four points per game it can give you or give the opponent and then during the streak until now it's actually at 106.11 and no team's playing and that's by far the fastest pace in the league and no team's played at that kind of pace in a very long time so you're looking at on the best end of it four more possessions per game than they had while um demarcus cousins was healthy so the next thing to look at then is, does that kind of correlate to anything? And this is kind of my approach when I look at stats and what have you. Uh, because w- before the Jazz game, when I was talking with David Locke, head of the Locked On Podcast Network and the radio play-by-play man for the Utah Jazz, he was saying, he looked at some of the numbers and the Pelicans early on in the shot clock have a very good Eve field goal percentage. And then the longer the shot clock goes, the worse it gets. And I was like, I got to take a look at this and see how this pace is working. And so look... Gentry system wants to play quickly in transition to take those shots before defenses get set. You know, you get out there, you run, and you push it, and you exploit mismatches, a man advantage, say you have a three-on-two, or or mismatches where you've got Anthony Davis lined up against someone smaller, and he can easily go to the hoop. So, usually those correlate to very early and early in the shot clock, according to the NBA.com slash stats page, that takes a look at the shot clock profile. And it all looks really good for the Pels, even pre-injury. But then you look at during the streak in the post-injury era here, and they are really taking advantage of the early shot clock. Early, uh, pre-injury, they were shooting 16% of all of their attempts very early. So that's with 22 to 18 seconds left on the shot clock out of 24 seconds. Post-injury, that number jumps up to 21.1. So you're looking at about a 5% increase there. Early in the shot clock is just 18 to 15 seconds left, uh, and that's 19.3 pre-injury, and it jumps up about 5.5% to 24.8% post-injury. And then you have the average range of 15 seconds to 7 seconds remaining, and they used those possessions about 43.8% of the time uh, pre-injury, and post-injury that's down about 6% or so to 38%. You have a higher E field goal percentage early on in the shot clock because you get those mismatches that we just talked about. It's a lot easier for Anthony Davis to score when he's running against a smaller guy than it is trying to post up a bigger dude in the half court. The Pelicans, early in the shot clock post-injury, have an E field goal percentage of 61.2. That's very, very good. Early in the shot clock, it's 56.2. And then average drops to 52.9. So they're significantly higher everywhere else and they're taking right now 46 percent of their offense early or very early in the shot clock where they can take advantage of that size speed and athleticism it's compared to 35 percent when cousins was healthy so they're taking earlier shots in the shot clock just simple as that and uh, this drives some people crazy sometimes you see drew just rip a three early on when he's not set when no one else is around and it's like well maybe you guys want to work this one to try and get a better look this gentry system's based on basically taking at least what they're playing right now, just the best, the first best good look you get. You don't know if you're gonna get a better look, and this team's not particularly great in the half court. So if you have an open three, even if it's early in the shot clock, it's better to take that when you have historically a higher field goal percentage, e field goal percentage, and it's a more efficient shot than if you were to try and work it out around and maybe try and create a better look. Plus, by doing this earlier on in the shot clock, you're going to have more possessions to do so. And when you're shooting, say, 61% from the field, that's good. You're going to make more of those than you're missing, so you want more possessions. It kind of works out like that. And we've seen this offensive rating kind of correlate with it. They had a 108.3 offensive rating uh, pre-injury that was sixth best in the league. Then immediately after the injury happened, 
uh, post-injury pre-winning streak, they had an offensive rating of 98.6. That was 29th in the league or 7th. I can't read my handwriting. Basically bad is what I'm trying to say. And that's because they were trying to run a similar shot clock profile to what they had with DeMarcus Cousins, except you don't have them. So you're taking... 5% more in that average range, but you're not very good at that average range all of a sudden with 15 to 7 seconds left on the shot clock. So you're trying to do what you'd always done, but you don't have the players to do so with without DeMarcus Cousins. Makes sense. And then as they go on the winning streak till now, they have an offensive rating of 112.1. So actually better than before when they did have Cousins, though this time they only ranked 8th in the league. And part of the reason the offense jumps up four points per 100 possessions or so, again, we're rounding to make this easy, is one that cut down on turnovers, which led to fewer empty possessions. But then you kind of look at certain things here, and it gets a little confusing, and then it it takes some explaining, because actually, if you look at the chart, and I've got it over there on LockedOnPelicans.com in the post, you see they had a better e-field goal percentage with Cousins and that early shot clock usage than what they have now. So should they? have a better offensive rating, um, be a better offense when they're shooting worse in those situations? And the answer is yes, because it's sheer volume at this point. You're taking more shots that that shoot that you shoot above 60% in than you were before. Even if you're shooting those slightly worse, which the Pelicans are by about 2.3%, you're still taking such good shots and your shot selection's good and those have a high chance of being made that sheer volume tips the numbers in your favor, basically, to make this good, even though you're not shooting as well as you were before. So this begs the question, which was all the rage last week, are the Pelicans better without DeMarcus Cousins? The answer's no. Now, they didn't have to run this kind of offense with him out there because they were good kind of everywhere else. Pre-injury, again, sixth best in the league. This team tried to run the same kind of offense they ran with DeMarcus Cousins out there, and they didn't have the personnel to do it. Losing Cousins is a big void you need to fill. So they had to adjust, and they have to be different. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily better. We've seen in these two games that the Pelicans have just lost now, uh, they have an offensive rating of 95.8. That's second worst. So one injury takes them out of this, and certainly they're not better then. And then if they don't have the best game from their role players who stepped up during that streak, or when Drew Holiday isn't playing as effectively as he had during the streak, it tips things, again, negatively in their favor because they're not making the most of these situations. And having Cousins there and then being able to go back to the old shot clock profile would certainly be a good thing. So just because the offense looks better and they're playing at a faster pace that seems like it would fit Gentry's system doesn't actually mean that they are better in that regards. But you still need to give this coaching staff and the players a lot of credit for making the most of this. Someone had to step up and fill this void left by DeMarcus Cousins, and the coaching staff figured a way to get everyone to contribute doing that, using those good early possessions and kind of building a profile and a DNA of this team that we hadn't really seen before. They were playing fast. They weren't playing super fast like they have been, like the flash here, uh, like they have been recently. So you've got to give credit all around, particularly to Gentry and his staff, Again, who have done some of the best coaching we've seen in their tenure here, probably the best, since this DeMarcus Cousins injury happened and since this winning streak, you know, the 10-game winning streak started.
So before we talk about Saul and Mihal, make sure you listen tomorrow to the Locked On NBA podcast. I co-host every Wednesday alongside John Corrales. We'll recap all the action from Tuesday night, including the Pelicans-Hornets game, and then talk about some of the biggest topics in the league before previewing Wednesday's action. Locked On NBA, five days a week. No one else giving you about 20, 25 minutes or so. Podcast daily digestible. Know what's going on around the league. Be a smarter NBA fan by listening to Locked On NBA. So, as I talked about on yesterday's podcast, Solomon Hill should be returning imminently. And whether it's going to be tonight, it doesn't look like it's going to be tonight against the Hornets, maybe against the Spurs, but it sounds like at least on the upcoming homestand after that. And I think the reason the Pelicans are all kind of saying this, I believe Joel Myers said it on the TV broadcast as well, is they think he might be able to make that return sooner, but they've kind of been burned by PR mistakes maybe. Not PR mistakes, that's probably not the best way of putting it. Uh, By putting a timetable out there for a player's return that they then didn't meet. If you say he's going to try and play, or he might be playing this, you know, next two games, and then he doesn't, it looks bad. So you kind of delay everything and let it just kind of go back further so that if he comes back earlier, that's great. You know, it's like how you always want to kind of overshoot on money and tell people they owe less money instead of telling them they owe more. Uh, It's usually going to end up being a much better situation. And that's kind of the situation there and what that means. So I think that's what they're kind of are targeting, but he's basically like about to be playing. So, you know, I've asked a lot, will he play effectively and all that? I don't know. You know, it's his biggest thing is going to be being in game shape, and that particularly just means the speed of the NBA. It's one thing to practice, but it's another thing to be out there in competitive situations, particularly with the pressure that he's going to be feeling to kind of come in and really help this team coming off injury, not having had training camp, all of that with these guys, to go out and make an impact because the Pelicans are in a playoff campaign and a playoff race. And I've gone long on the podcast today, so I want to kind of go through this quickly. So he's going to kind of have that situation, and you got to wonder how well he's going to play. He should be on a minutes restriction. You'd have to figure for the first 10 games or so. You might be looking at like seven minutes, first couple games, then 15, then 25, then he should be fine. The closest analogy to this or comparable situation would be Chris Middleton with the Milwaukee Bucks, what, two years ago now, uh, where he had basically the same type of injury. And it took just 10 games for him to really be back to his old self, at least unrestricted uh, in terms of minutes and everything. So that's what you're looking like there. The big thing, though, to me is going to be the minutes that he gets currently because that's just the important thing for this Pelicans team right now. Anthony Davis is sixth in minutes per game in the NBA at 36 and a half, tied for fifth, really, uh, with Chris Middleton, of all people, and Damian Lillard. And he's been playing heavy minutes, and the schedule is about to get very rough with fewer days off and no real two days before games and things like that. So minutes and having him not kind of get tired or be exhausted are going to be an important thing. You saw him kind of run out of steam a little bit in the Jazz game. He only had two field goal attempts in the fourth quarter. Not exactly what you want to see from the Pelican stud here. So that's a concern. But here you can get a player to be out there on the court and play the four, and maybe with Emeka Okafor Diallo in Solomon Hill, that can give AD a bit of a breather. If you can give him two or three more minutes of rest per game, that is a good thing for the rest of the season. It also stabilizes your rotation a little bit. The Pelicans have not been great at defending the small forward spot, the wing position. Etwan Moore's been playing that a lot of the time. I don't really trust what I see on basketball reference because it says he's played uh, not at the small forward very much. He starts at the small forward every game, so he's definitely out there playing that a lot. He gets a lot of crunch time minutes at the two-guard spot when you run Holiday and him 
depending on what that kind of closing lineup is going to be. But here now, you can get Solomon Hill in there for certain lineups, and you don't have Etuan Moore necessarily playing as much of the three, where he's been kind of overshot. It's been like a net neg, barely a net negative, uh, according to estimates that I'm looking at here, of negative basically 0.7, 0.7. If you can turn that into a positive for the Pels, that's a huge thing you know the opponent e field goal percentage at small forward position against each one more again estimates here he's been around 53.5 percent that's high again he's 6-4 he's got a decent wingspan but that's not enough to really bother some of these small forwards that the team has to go against Solomon Hill can do that. So not only does he then give Anthony Davis some rest in lineups there, he moves Etuan Moore to his more natural position, which then kind of shoves Rajon Rondo out of the lineup at times when you need those minutes to be better suited elsewhere when he's not playing his most effective. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing here is it helps stabilize the rotation. It helps get some rest for Anthony Davis. And the rotation and minutes distribution has been really good from the Pelicans these past 12 games or so. So you've got to like that, that now this coaching staff has even more tools to be able to continue doing that. So again, before we preview tonight's game, and we're going to go quickly through that, make sure you check out LockedOnPelicans.com. Content up daily. We've been kicking some ass over there recently. Make sure you go read the one today that I wrote about Pace, kind of talking about what we, we mentioned here in the first segment, but going a little bit more in depth. I got more stats in there. Take a look at it. Read it over. Kill some time at work. You don't want to be working anyway. So make sure you check out LockedOnPelicans.com. So it's game day here in the Crescent City as the Pelicans are set to take on the Charlotte Hornets. The kind of disappointing Charlotte Hornets who sit at 29 and 38, that puts them at um, 10th in the Eastern Conference. There it is. You know, too far from being that eighth spot, but not bad enough to kind of tank and get a high lottery pick. This is a team that ranks basically the middle of the road on both offense and defense. Plays with a somewhat high pace, which plays into the Pelicans' favor. Um, but the Pelicans shouldn't take this game lightly, despite the record of Charlotte. They do things that the Pelicans don't like, which is particularly getting to the free throw line pretty often. They're number one in the league when it comes to free throw attempts. Um, number three and made three free throws. That doesn't really matter. But they also have the third best free throw to field goal attempted rate. So these guys get to the line and obviously they're going to be led by Kemba Walker in that regard. The uh, He's averaging 22.7 points per game, uh, almost six assists, shoots really well, gets to the line, can burn you from three as well. He's just a really fun player player and then they also have Dwight Howard doing it as well getting to the free throw line seven times a game he's having a bit of a resurgent season here in Charlotte averaging 16.1 points per game uh, and scoring and bowling people inside so you're going to definitely see a Mecca Okafor who was drafted number two overall after him on the Charlotte then Bobcat team defend him in what's now just kind of being weird and I'm confused by who's playing and what's going on here. But this team does shoot well and they can get out there and they can play and they'll shoot the three ball like nobody's business. They're 10th best in the league and we know the Pelicans don't like to kind of get in that shootout with teams and also the free throw disparity might be rather big. So you need to kind of attack Dwight Howard early on, try and see if you can get him in foul trouble uh, and then kind of make the life easier for the Pelicans as they attack the paint. They wanted to do that against the Jazz, but they had Rudy Gobert there, and it kind of threw them off. They couldn't get into an offensive rhythm, and you could see a similar thing here tonight when the Pelicans play the Hornets because you do have that dude, Dwight Howard, down there. 
No one else should really scare you that much. That's really it. If you can kind of neutralize him, this should be an easy game for the Pels. He's kind of the key to the rebounding and the good numbers that the uh, Hornets put up. They're number one in defensive rebounding, so you're not really going to grab offensive boards against them. They're 15th when it comes to offensive rebounding, so you do need to make sure you're stout on the defensive glass. I looked at a lot of the uh, rebounding numbers for the Pelicans yesterday. That's a discussion for maybe tomorrow, uh, but it doesn't concern me too much. So, you know, just kind of be average at both of those and you should be fine this is a game the Pels should win um, there's more talent here but again this team's kind of not playing too great these past two games the offense has looked out of sorts even with Anthony Davis back against the Jazz so you've got to go out and play a good sound performance get those early shots in the shot clock attack when you have the opportunity to and anything you can do to try and get rid of Dwight Howard will certainly help the team and that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Hopefully the Pels can get a win because they're getting almost no help from the rest, rest of the Western Conference. Even though, as I'm saying this right now, the Spurs are about to be in 10th place in the West. Uh, you have then the Thunder losing to the Kings. And we've got Steven Adams out the rest of the game. Again, I'm not watching this one. Cur well, right now, I'm not. I'm going to finish it after this, but I won't have the score until after I record this. I'm trying to multitask and go home or, and go to bed early because I get confused by the daylight savings time and it's throwing my rhythm off, as I think anyone over 30 does. Uh, so that's going to kind of... The Pels need some help, so you've got to win this game against Charlotte because you don't know when you're going to be able to get a ton of winnable games coming up. Up. So thank you all for listening. Check out LockedOnPelicans.com. Make sure you listen to Locked On NBA tomorrow. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all tomorrow to recap the game. <laughs>